Thanks for listening to Lost and Rewound. You can check us out online at lostandrewound.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Time to get embarrassed with us. I had a tape recorder when I was a tween, and in retrospect, those recordings were obscene. Travel back in time with the familiar sound. Let's all get lost and Episode 17, Literary Richard Cousins, featuring an interview with Wesley Marcarelli. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to our audio archaeological experiment known as Lost and Rewound. I am Alon. I'm Alyssa. I'm Doug. Joining us for this go-around, a very seasoned vet in the cassette recording world, please welcome Wesley Marcarelli. Welcome, Wes. Thanks for having me. The nature of uh, you being here, uh, as indicated before, about you being kind of like a seasoned vet in the cassette recording world, we met actually at a party where you were DJing cassette tapes. That's right. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the nature of that event and how that came about? So uh, the event's called Tape Heads. This is a kind of like a collaboration event with my friend uh, Daniel Perez, who goes by bodybuilding as a a recording and performing artist. And yeah, I was working at this bar in Williamsburg, and we decided to have a night together where we focused on cassette tapes and invited a bunch of labels down and tape collectors and what have you. And yeah, just kind of dedicated the night to cassette tapes. Was this a one-off, or is it happening... Uh, regularly it happens sporadically there's a facebook page for tape heads which is tape, tape, heads. tape heads perfect yeah usually there's like a flyer with some kind of pop icon with a tape over their face and their eyes are poking out through the mm. tape holes how long have you been djing cassette tapes i guess is the right way to put it i mean oh the djing the cassette tape has only been maybe a couple of years i guess I I had made a few years ago a a friend of mine circuit bent this Barbie karaoke machine. This guy Peter Edwards, who's this kind of circuit bender extraordinaire, and uh, so I mimicked this, but kind of just used the variable pitch modification from it, and then have used that as as a way to kind of do some kind of beat matching uh, for cassette tapes. So once I had that, it was very easy to just do some really sloppy uh, mashes <laughs> of different cassettes. Do you do DJing or, or blending without tapes, like through any other medium? I, I've done vinyl, not really anything like besides but vinyl and cassette. How does the cassette compare? It seems to me it would be much more difficult. To adjust the levels and everything is kind of like all over the place, and it's it seems like the mastering quality of cassettes, for whatever reason, seems kind of off. Maybe it's just... Their wear and tear, it's not quite the same thing as uh, as a vinyl record. So less predictable overall? Yeah, yeah. And it's like a lot more difficult to match up because the rewinding, fast-forwarding, it's not just like dropping a needle. Yeah. <laughs> Although, also, you can't visualize it because you can't see the record. You're, right. You know. There's there's some things in, in a tape that, like, there's that little window and there's these, like, uh, like hash marks that tell you kind of where halfway is and whatnot and or if it's a clear tape you can tell by like how much 
tape is on one spool than is on the other spool. Um, then you're at the mercy of the nightclub lighting. Right, so you know you're on the, yeah, you know you're on the definitely. right half or quarter of the tape, but it's, you know, like Doug said, it's not like a record or doing a lot of DJs done, DJing is done electronically now where you just pick the next song. Right, and sometimes with with software, it'll even like match up your beats for you, pitching up and down and whatnot. Although I've recently discovered that someone put a jog wheel on their cassette player, which is like a what? modification that I'm going to be adding <laughs> soon. I, 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 that I want to see. Yeah, yeah. I want to touch on that because it seems like for Douglas, who uh, here who has been DJing for a long time too, uh, strip mostly vinyl, from my understanding. Yes. Uh, the fact that you know you have to invest a lot of money on gear. Tell us a little bit about what the hell goes into investing into tape DJ gear. If on a on a basic level, I think it's actually pretty cheap because you can find cassette players in your parents' basement. Most sure. I think most likely in your parents' basement, you know, Goodwill or what have you. I actually volunteer at this uh, e-waste recycling center in Gowanus. I'm trying to salvage as many cassette players as I can while I'm there. Mm. Uh, because people don't realize that there's, I don't know, people do want cassette players and to and to use them uh, for for whatever. I think that to get into it for DJing is like actually pretty cheap. But then these like modifications that you can add can mean that you have to put some time into it yourself. Or I mean, there are also cassette players that have variable speed as well. But like I said, it's still just like you kind of start off in some place. On your cassette, you're at some speed and you try to match up as much as you can, but it ends up being oh, kind of washy, I guess. So yeah. do you either have to sort of do it yourself or find someone who can do that for you. Right. And those people are probably few and far between. I think there's more and more, but yeah, yeah. you have to have a little bit of like a DIY mentality about it. Tape DJing is such a specific niche. Why tapes? Um, I think the tapes boils down to e-waste and electronics recycling kind of a desire to salvage some part of the past and 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 pull it into the future and i guess also part of it is uh analog media in general recording as a as a musician uh, i got really into recording on analog tape and the cheapest way to do that really is onto cassette tape and releasing cassettes which has become this like kind of big a bigger mini phenomenon thing that, yeah in a way. It seems like it's kind of like a little bit of a micro-industry. Not pun, pun intended, but uh, <laughs> but I guess it ultimately depends on where you live, too. I, you know, I can only imagine how much of a culture it is in the city, but maybe in other cities or towns it's sort of like, what? What are you talking about? I'm going to the Apple store. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are like, you know, when you're releasing cassettes, that's really weird. That was like <laughs> That was maybe like the first cassette that I made of my own music, I, besides, you know, the stuff from the 90s that I was making on my own Which or we'll in, in, in friends' basements. Yeah. But that when I kind of came back to it five or six years ago, some people were like, that's really strange. Like, why are you doing that? And then a couple years later, we're like, oh, wow, you really like were on the cutting edge of that. Which I was like, I wasn't really. That had been going on for kind of quite a while. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Kind of the trailing edge, you know, I know a lot of different cassette labels and people that have cassette-based events that are just labels. Kind of what Tapehead started out with, it kind of inspired by a group of labels that put together a day over the summer of getting cassettes labels together and DJing 
and kind of bouncing off of that, I guess. But yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot of uh, cassette labels around now, and part of it was recording my own stuff and putting it on the cassette. You brought us a selection from a tape you made as a, as a kid. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about the time period or where you were. We'll listen to uh, some selections from it. Okay, so this was a tape from 1991, so that means I was about nine years old. Around this year, uh, my mom and my stepdad converted to Seventh-day Adventists. Oh. If you don't know about Seventh-day Adventists, they go to church on Saturday, they're Christian, but they follow a lot of the Jewish laws, no shellfish, no pork. On top of that being a very big change, they also were brought into it by a friend of theirs. So there were, there were two Seventh-day Adventist churches in New Haven. One of them was almost completely white people. And the other one was almost completely black, besides my family when we started going to this church. Kind of a big cultural shift, I guess. And for whatever reason, this is when I started getting interested in cassette tapes. And you will kind of hear preachy things and, and whatnot in the tape, which, oh, yeah. are, which, which are based in that world. Sure. Let's uh, take a listen. Lost and Rewound. <laughs>
get ruined. And I cut over by where we parked the car. We need to see more of that stuff in the pile. We're going to pick it up. I noticed at the end of that clip, uh, you were actually reporting to your dad what uh, had transpired on the wrestling program. That's right. My dad really liked to talk about Sergeant Slaughter with me. Awesome. Um, <laughs> of all of all wrestlers. Yeah. All wrestlers. And I, I, but I really idolized Hulk Hogan at that time, or actually like a lot younger than that. I remember in preschool being really into Hulk Hogan, but... I could not get my dad whatsoever to be interested in it. He was like, this is so stupid, Alon. He was like, look at this. Look at how silly. Like, every time I, like, turn it on for him. That's so stupid. Like, that's fake, Alon. Come on. Well, he was right. But, <laughs> but I mean, Macho Man Randy Savage proposing to Elizabeth... Was real. In the ring. Was awesome. totally I mean, real. that is... I, that's great theater right there. And they yeah. were, in fact... Really married. That's I the love thing. the fact that he says it. <laughs> he says it twice, like Elizabeth. And he says it again. <laughs> Will like, you marry me? I can only. I don't know what it looked like at this point, but I can only imagine the amount of you know. I believe there was tension, some variety of altar or something on stage. I've seen this. Oh, really? Video at some point, and I believe it was billed as the match made in heaven. Or something, <laughs> and something then they talk about afterwards. They talk about the match made in hell. Yeah, yeah that was Hulk it. Was Hogan. one yeah uh, a, a combo promotion, I guess. That was uh, an interesting time in wrestling. Macho Man and Hulk Hogan, <laughs> Jake the Snake, Roberts, Sergeant Slaughter, Iron Sheik. It was like you know early '90s, the truly prime uh, example of wrestling when it started. Not even becoming hokey. I think actually that was, I would argue to say that that was sort of a golden age for wrestling. Mm, yeah. But it's cool that you were watching it even earlier than I was. I we're about the same age. We're about you know in our like early thirties. So mm-hmm. you were watching that, and you were also recording commercials. I, I totally get it. I would never have ever remembered that pot smoking commercial. Yeah, it's sort of awesome getting like that found audio in it too. <laughs> yeah. it's more of a PSA than a commercial. Right. It, the, <laughs> sorry, PSA. No, no you're right. You're they right. They weren't advertising yeah. pot. Right. They were, Don't smoke pot. Just, yeah, they're trying to keep pro- drugs are bad. Keep people from smoking pot. I did love that sort of super cut at the beginning. It was just you clipping commercials, but the way they sort of fall together, it, it so, it's it's perfect. Like, it's it sounds curated and edited and intentional. Like, it's a great little piece of found audio that you would sort of think would be in the background of the channel-changing sequence in some 80s teen movie. Yeah, totally. I, it was cool to, like, also background about the Gazettas, finding it in the past year yeah. and being like, Oh wow! This is tape at my mom's house called Wesley's Fun Tape. I wonder what's on here, <laughs> and then listening to it and just being like, "What? When did you find this tape? Did you you so you said you found it within the last year while you were visiting your folks for? I, think, I guess over the summer, probably. I yeah, over the over the last summer, I found it. So within the last year, and that was the only tape you ever recorded when you were younger. I actually recorded other tapes, but the tapes ended up being some kind of like communication. Sending it to other other people. I actually had like a fairly close relative that went to prison around this time, and they went in between maximum and min- minimum security prisons throughout their stay. It's amazing what you can get in a minimum security prison. 
cookies, sweaters, cassette tapes. So I would just make these cassette tapes and then send cassette tapes along, which are... I don't know, in a dumpster somewhere, or you know, but at the bottom of a landfill. Who knows? Incredible. Those are those I'll never hear again. But this was like in that same vein, you know. That is just remarkable that you did something so great like that to send off more or less cassette journals to family, right? For, right. Yeah, cassette journals, and also ended up being some kind of uh, proselytization. And I think that there was a DC Talk cassette sent as well um <laughs> within as, as, as in addition to my own cassettes eventually in in high school cassette making turned more musical and then me and a friend would make cassettes for other friends and then yeah send them as just like basically like these uh concept albums based around a friend and then send it to all <laughs> we often go and deliver hand deliver it to a friend like we made this cassette tape for you it was I don't know. Did you ever do it? Be freaked out, friend. Did you ever give a tape to a love interest or someone you had a crush on? I don't remember ever making a cassette for someone that I had a crush on. I have always been fairly oblivious to the opposite sex. And, like, that that never kind of was a thing I, I thought to do, maybe. Or it was more about, like, making funny, silly songs and not so much about, like, any kind of romance. Sure. You know, by the time I got to middle school, I feel like I was not even really caring either. In some ways, I felt I kind of embarrassed about my music taste to even share it with other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the religious part of it too was like that was this kind of central focus all the time. Was you know any any creative stuff ended up kind of in some way getting routed in that direction during elementary, middle school, and high school. Well, we're getting to the religion. Yeah, uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's coming up. I don't want to spoil anything. Let's see what else we can uncover, yeah? Okay. Keep singing. I like it. I like it. Oh, my God. 
This one, the first card that, that was put down is a three. So what were you counting in the in that last part? I, I think I was maybe like playing Uno with my dad who was actually doing something else. So know? he was just sort of casually dropping like, in and out seven, of Uno. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to figure out like, what the sequence of numbers was when I you're, you can hear your dad chiming in like, 13! Yeah, I think he was just kind of like busy Four. doing something out, just like shouting random numbers at me. That was immediately preceded by a beatbox version of Soft and Wet. Yes, Which is impressive. The MC Hammer cover of Soft and Wet. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. MC Hammer did a cover of a Prince song. MC Hammer apparently did a cover of Soft and Wet. I I actually like cut that part out because I didn't want to you know get anyone in trouble for playing copyrighted material or anything. You can check it out. Oh, there's an extended cut. There's an MC Hammer uh, Soft cut. and Wet cover. Yeah. MC Hammer being the first concert that I ever went to. MC Hammer was big for me at this point. That was in Connecticut. MC Hammer at... MC like... Hammer, New Haven Coliseum, uh, TLC, and Boys to Men opened up. Boys to Men had some That's kind a of show. bus that issue, is so they didn't show. actually make it, but I did oh, get no. to see TLC in the Power Wheels. Yeah. How old are you? That's an awesome show. That might have been that year, or like 1990, 1991. This is also the tour when... MC Hammer was doing commercials for KFC where mm. he was like throwing popcorn chicken in the air and like doing these crazy spin dance moves and catching it in his mouth. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> I remember those commercials. His dancer Randy with the crazy uh, like bouffant Crazy hair, hair yeah. yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. Back when it was actually Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's right. That's right. Not to be confused with its new namesake. Were you allowed to be singing that kind of stuff? Your parents weren't like super religious to the point where like they were just going to be strict. They, they none, none of that music in the household. They kind of were, but MC Hammer was one of these artists that kind of got the pass crossed over because he made songs <laughs> about praying. I, I, feel think... like TL, yeah, I feel like TLC too. That would definitely violate, especially early '90s TLC would violate some sort of uh, Christian conservative religious. Well, yeah, you're, this is the, the the other thing here is that there's two households. There's my dad and my stepmom's household, which it's all that stuff's kind of okay. They're still Christian, but not like they they hadn't gotten crazy yet. Now they're like extremely conservative uh, Roman Catholic. And my mom and my stepdad, who were like in the process of getting extremely you know rigidly conservative, and there you are in the middle listening to MC Hammer, and there I am. But I didn't realize he was doing religious stuff that early. I thought that didn't come until much later. I know he did, like, a super patriotic album around September 11th, which I thought was pretty hilarious, because I didn't even realize he was still making music. I remember a, an early Hammer song that was called We Pray. Yeah, you've got, like, you've got to pray just to make it today. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 was, that was a really big hit. And being in the Christian community, any time an artist has mainstream popularity and brings any kind of religious, especially Christian aspect to it, it's like totally embraced, even if the B-side is soft and wet. <laughs> That's wild. That's so wild. I think let's move on. Let's move on. Do you have a Danziger Zone of your very own gathering dust in your parents' basement? Well, we'd love to hear your archived audio, no matter how old it is. Email your contributions to lostandrewound at gmail.com. Hello out there from Radio Land, the greatest 
place to be. Heaven's definitely better, but I don't know what to do. This is chapel hour. I would like you to get your Bibles. I will wait for a couple of minutes for you to get your Bibles. Okay, you should always have your Bible. Well, you can put on pause on it. You should always have your Bible near you whenever this comes up. Okay? Let me get my Bible. Wait a minute. Look with me to Matthew 20. 
First of all, what's the verse? Again, it's Matthew something. Again. I'm a total. I'm. I am a fly on the wall. I am a Jew and a half, so I don't know anything about this. And was that a random verse? Did you just that you picked? Is it significant? Or was it from like the week's liturgy? That week's liturgy, or was it what you've been studying in school? So no, many questions. I don't have a good answer for any of those questions. It's Matthew. I can't. I don't remember where the chapter is. Six through ten. It's one of these verses that's interesting because now I guess I should preface with I'm not a Christian now, in case there's any confusion about that. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, it's one of these verses in the Bible that's like so and so didn't have the proper oil for their lamp, and they weren't allowed into the bridegroom's chamber, and it's kind of like you weren't ready for Jesus, and now you're screwed. I heard yeah, I heard something about virgins came out of the city. Yeah, there's virgins with lamps, and they were greeting the bridegroom or some bridegroom. I say at some point and correct myself. But yeah, it's something about Jesus and not being ready for Jesus to come back. And then there's something that I kind of go on a rant there about. Only God knows this, and this is, I think, more I like, of like that a, you had a little bit of a homily at the end. Yeah, of what this meant to you, right? And this is heavily influenced by this particular pastor from the Seventh Day Adventist Church, Pastor Parham, who was just he was literally Little Richard's cousin. Like Little Richard had come to the church. Literary at some Richard point. cousin. Uh, Little Richard <laughs> came to the church. I'm sorry. <laughs> Literary Richard cousin is an amazing handle. He had a pencil thin mustache, sort of like a mullet, and a very profoundly glowing bronzish complexion. That is not off. I think his <laughs> hair. His, his hair was shorter, but everything else is right. He had like a, you know, his little beauty mark. He was a handsome, charismatic. Just, I mean, you know, brought the house down. I mean, one of his, like, signature lines was, it's Holy Ghost time. And, like, literally, like, the lights would start dimming, and it was like, it's Holy Ghost time. And, like, <laughs> so this is, like, this influence here, and you can kind of hear that at the end where it's like, you know, only God knows when Jesus is coming back. I think part of this, like, kind of the Seventh-day Adventist doctrine, too, is that it's supposedly an end-times religion that... Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are all in this kind of decisive mode right now, and they're deciding who's going to make it and who's not going to make it. And so, you know, only only God the Father knows when he's going to send Jesus back to get all the righteous. Sure. <laughs> That's got to be, as God, that seems to be your right to, to yeah. decide, say, I know and you don't. Yeah, right. <laughs> Growing up, having on one hand the sort of strong Seventh-day Adventist upbringing, mm. but then you mentioned, too, that your dad and your stepmom, sort of further down from these tapes, really became very Catholic. How was that growing up with two very different Christian ideologies? And Catholicism is very traditional high church you don't actually read the bible you memorize the catechism you sit down you shut up you kneel you take communion yeah and then seventh day adventist where you're really sort of you're getting into the book and we're reading it and we're talking about things and the event that got my mom and stepdad into the seventh day adventist church is called the revelation seminar and i still have some of these like postcards at home from the event which is at a hotel 
like a Holiday Inn conference room, the postcards have like Gorbachev and like Bush and Muammar Gaddafi and like uh, uh, the Whore of Babylon wrapped in like a beastly serpent. And also one of those uh, being the Pope who was blatantly considered the Antichrist by the Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah, like, hardcore Protestants hate the Pope. Like, but not even just like don't like him. Like they were like, Look at his funny hat. It actually says 666 on the hat, which I don't think it actually did, but somehow they interpreted some, some it. Some Illuminati math. Right. I have a feeling that the Pope wouldn't put 666 <laughs> on that hat. That seems like I don't a, know. a bit of a bold it's, statement. Yeah. Right, right. but if you, but if you, ca- you count the number of stones and then divide it by three and you get it on a Tuesday. Exactly. about the stones. I'm right. sorry. Right, right. That's that, and I think that has a lot to do with it. The Illuminati was, is behind everything. Yeah, there was a there was a large conflict there religiously, and that definitely set the stage for like high school and college for me. Just this kind of tension between Protestant, Catholic, Seventh Day Adventist. I was you know going to seminaries, doing these like silent retreats at the seminary at some point, and thought about becoming a priest. So yeah, religion was like a big part of growing up. And as you can see in the tape. One thing I want to clarify with all this religion talk, I'm captivated by the fact that at a young age, religion played such a central role in your life, but that you were still finding a platform to use religion to espouse, you know, to talk about religion. The fact that you had these tapes to record, would you say that you were always recording from as early as you can remember? Was the tape recorder something that you always found yourself going back to as you were growing up in middle school uh, or rather even before I did the mixtapes but as you were younger put out all your creativity yeah I think that tape recorders are just a very accessible medium to record on it's so easy to record with a cassette player also my parents weren't using it as like a I don't know why even like why they, they nurtured like, it. They nurtured. They kind of did, yeah. They, it's like it's like you know, here's a cassette player. Like Go I don't know to who's town. using it. You know, your brother left it at home, and so like you can just like use this as. I mean, it's obviously, a, it's a renewable resource as a toy. Totally, yeah. The future for me and like becoming a musician. I wasn't really. I don't think a, a musician back then, but. Although um, you were playing the recorder like a all, champ, although being I was, a, the flute recorder as opposed yep. to the tape recorder, and then also uh, banging those like what you I hear in a lot of uh, like mariachi bands, like the dink, yeah, dink, 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 dink. You're doing gotta have faith. I was just gonna mention the the little sort of hip seated hip gyration. Yeah, that was. I'm I'm sad that people aren't gonna be able to see that. They're not. <laughs> they won't be, it's true. But, but no, they, they, you clearly had a lot of instruments lying around. Yeah, and over time, playing music ended up turning more into like recording music and like the producing aspect of it for me. And I think this was kind of uh, the beginning of that. And you kind of hear in the recordings is just playing around with the tape and as a medium, recording over and like kind of not really layering, it's just a simple handheld recorder, but you can still like press record and kind of like smear other sounds into the track that's playing, which I think ended up being inspiring as I was using it. We actually, on that note, have a this last clip of yours, uh, which features a lot of this layering that you speak of. Yeah. Let's hear <laughs> what you got. 
Here's our exercise program. Okay, get those legs moving by shaking them. One, put, put, down, shake the leg. Shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. Wiggle them Okay, then turn it down. Wait a minute. Okay, now let's do some push-ups. Come on, everybody. Get on the floor. Get on your knees and go. One. this planet alone.
producer Ryan brought up uh, an interesting question while that was playing. Uh, what happens if you play that backwards? I wonder. I think we die in seven days. Doug thought there was a what was it a recipe for what was there Sandy's pecan Sandy's. Pecan. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> recipe. You were doing an exercise tutorial, and as alluded to before, uh, self-editing, as I was wont to do with the Danziger Zone tapes, coming back to it and being like, what is going on with this? This is stupid. Wow. Like, second-guessing my earlier self and being like, uh, d- don't worry about what I was saying two years ago, listener. So, yeah, it, it did seem like your interruptions or interjections, I guess, were agnostic to the content of... Exactly. You knew there was the exercise time, it seemed like, but you were just yelling whatever. Sometimes whatever. I think sometimes it has something to do with, like, what exercise was going on, and then other times it sounds like you're just like, oh my god, just shut up, you know? <laughs> when you're recording, especially as a kid, you're recording these things and you think, I gotta record everything, videos of kids' pageants and things like that when people want to record like every minute detail mm-hmm. and then afterwards like no one really wants to watch it or or listen to it but here we are <laughs> <laughs> this is why we're here that's what the show's all about that's sort of the beauty of I guess we could call it the project or the Lost and Wound project is it's not just a nostalgia thing that we want to find and discover those like random weird little things that you documented because it seemed like a good idea at the time and then you know what like it's not. It's just not just about things that are obviously important, right? Like, right. Like not, the match made in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> or the last day of school. But like, hey, here's a random Wednesday on the bus. Yeah. Because those things were Wednesday in November. Would you the week before Thanksgiving? Yes. <laughs> right. 1991. <laughs> a lot of this was recorded at home. Do you think you would have ever been able to get away with bringing it outside uh, the house to the school or on the bus, or would that totally have been a failure? I don't know. I don't know if I even, like, thought to bring it elsewhere or if it was just, like, a at-home leisure time thing to do or, like, a procrastination, like, I'm supposed to be doing something else, like, cleaning my room, but, like, oh, this is tape player to play with. I'm just going to do this instead. Sure. Which also brings up one I meant to ask before. What equipment exactly were you using when you were recording these? I could hear you sort of getting some more technical... Blending, yeah. and warping, and that like, was like like early noise experiments. Exactly, that's right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's more than like, a blur, <laughs> than like a talk boy. I mean, what were you? Do you remember what? No, it was just like a Sony Walkman, I think, like the simple handheld. That's like the beauty of having like limited things to use is that you find a way to just like I'm just gonna jam my hand across all these buttons on here and like scream into it and see what happens. You got some crazy <laughs> effects at the end, and while we were listening, you were saying that that was seated on sat on the TV. It sounds like it's like ungrounded or something like that, and there's right. like this humming and buzzing. The recording stuff from the TV and the TV speaker, magnetic waves flying back and forth. Are there waves? I should know this. I don't know. But it's magnetism, anyway. Forces, waves, same thing. There's magnets. Photons. Energy can be a wave. The game that you were playing in the background I totally recognized was an NES game, Mickey Mouse Capade. That was one of the worst games that they ever released. That was a game where you played Mickey and Minnie, and you could not finish levels without Minnie. If you happen to be going across the level and Minnie left you for any point of time, 
you had to go and fetch her before you were able to go into the next part oh, of She the... would leave you? I don't understand this conceptually. Like, would she, yeah, would she just, like, wander off like a small child? Was this a... Do you need a leash for her? Basically, the first level was, like, a fun house. And there's only five levels, but the game is impossible because you're constantly having to, for lack of a better term, wait on Minnie. And if for whatever reason Minnie is just, like, slow-poking it and she's not there with you... For example, there's like two levels here. I have like a one level, and then you have to go up a ladder. And if she doesn't go up that ladder with you, you can't go to the next room. But Minnie is always slow poking. There's no like you can't it's con- totally you can't sexist. control Minnie and yeah. Mickey. Yeah. That was my question: Is do you get to, could you play Minnie as well? So no, you... just Mickey, and Minnie just, just you follows you wherever you Minnie. go. Totally, she's not at all self-serving. Like you... that's obnoxious and makes for a really bad game. It's a terrible game. But Maleficent is the final boss in the game. I became very lethargic about video games and how I don't play them, and I just start, like, watching them on YouTube, seeing somebody do, like, a speed run. just sort of makes me feel better about myself for not having video <laughs> games anymore in my private... Anyway, that was an interesting soundbite, because... Um, I didn't even remember that game, but now I'm remembering playing the game that you're saying that... And being frustrated probably just as much as I I think at some point I'm like, I gotta play a different game now, you know? Did you rent video games at all, or did you just buy them and I think never so. play them? I think that there was mostly renting of games, yeah. I was never, like, a real, like a huge gamer, but, like, Nintendo era, the first Nintendo was, like, that was everything at that point, and then shortly thereafter, maybe it's because I started playing with tape recorders that I was like, this is fun. Fair enough. I don't need you, video game. In front of us, we're looking at these tapes that you so kindly donated to us. Mm-hmm. So I like how you've gone from playing with the tape recorder to actually self-releasing your own music on what is multiple albums, which is really kind of cool. So you got like some mini EPs, if you will, yeah, with all sorts of cool artwork as well. So it's both visually and audioly, uh, audibly, right? <laughs> stimulating. Yeah, these are released on a couple... Um, labels that I, I actually help run, uh, Boot Tapes and Tiger Asylum Records. The, for the most part, correlation kind of between the tape that we just listened to. That's a lot of like noisy experimenting with tape and using tape almost as like a mastering process. Like, I'm just gonna like throw a bunch of things at cassette tape or reel to reel tape and then let the tape handle it and not think too much else about it. When I started doing the tapes, releasing them, I guess this was around 2010 was the first one, it was somewhat for that reason. Like, I don't want to think too much about this. I just want to create things. I want to put them down, and I don't want to, like, obsess over a mastering process or really mixing the hell out of this. I want to, like, let the medium take over. Very liberating to be able to do that without it, the, that without that stress upon your head. Yeah, it's fun. Where could people listen to them or obtain them? Um, there's a Bandcamp for bootapes.bandcamp.com and, and B-O-O-T? B-O-O tapes. Yeah. Oh, boo tapes. Got yeah, <laughs> boo tapes. And uh, tigerasylum.bandcamp.com as well. And there's... A bunch of stuff, Tiger Asylum, there's a bunch of free jazz and noise and avant rock on there. That label's been around since 2007. Um, and Boot Tapes is uh, newer, and I'm in engineering school and have been since about 2010. So sporadic releases, which um, I'll be graduating in May, and then we'll Word. 
be able to put a little bit more time into that. We certainly look forward to hearing what else you got uncovered uh, when that time comes. Yeah, yeah. In regards to hearing the music that you've made, I think we're going to exit on one of your songs before we wrap up here. Thanks again to Wesley Marcarelli for joining us on Lost and Rewound. Any uh, other shouts you got before you go? The music is Champagne Sequins, not to be confused. It's not released under my actual name. But yeah, I love this podcast. And I'm glad that you guys are talking about cassettes and hope that more people dig into their cassette collection and maybe make some new cassettes. We share your optimism. Lost and Rewound. Lost and Rewound is hosted by Elon Danziger, Melissa Lloyd, and Doug Johnson. Engineered by Ryan Wright. We're available online at lostandrewound.com.